that had brought many a promising score to grief at the last minute. As things stood, he had only to halve the hole to win. "'It looks like your fiver, I'm sorry to say, Bill. "'About time I took one off you.' As James Bond stepped forward in his turn, the thought crossed his mind that there might be a worse sin than the cardinal one of boredom. Complacency. Satisfaction with the second rate. Going soft without knowing it. The man wearing the rather unusually large and opaque sunglasses had no difficulty as he sauntered past the open windows of the club lounge towards the putting green in identifying the tall figure now shaping up to drive off the eighteenth tee. He had had plenty of practice in identifying it over the past few weeks at greater distances than this, and at the moment his vision was sharpened by urgency. If any member had marked out the man in sunglasses as a stranger and approached him with inquiring offers of help, he would have been answered courteously in a faintly non-British accent, not foreign exactly, perhaps South African, to the effect that no help was needed. Any moment now, the stranger would have explained, he expected to be joined by Mr. John Donald to discuss with him the possibilities of being put up for membership. Mr. John Donald was in fact in Paris, as a couple of carefully placed telephone calls had established earlier that day. But as it turned out, nobody went near the man in sunglasses. Nobody so much as noticed him. This was not surprising, because a long course of training, costing a large sum of money, had seen to it that he was very good at not being noticed. The man strolled across the putting green and seemed to be examining, with exactly average interest, the magnificent display flower-bed and its thick ranks of red-hot pokers and early chrysanthemums. His demeanour was perfectly relaxed, his face quite expressionless, as the eyes behind the glasses looked in the direction of the flowers. His mind, however, was racing— Today's operation had been set up three times already, before being abandoned at the eleventh hour. There was a date scheduled on it so tight that further postponement might mean the cancellation of the entire scheme. This would have greatly displeased him. He very much wanted the operation to go through, not for any fancy idealistic or political reason, but simply out of professional pride. What was being undertaken would, if all went well, end up as the most staggeringly audacious piece of lawlessness he had ever heard of. To be associated with the success of such a project would certainly bring him advancement from his employers, whereas to be associated with its failure. The man in sunglasses drew his arms into his sides for a moment, as if the approach of evening had brought a stray gust of air that suddenly struck chill. The moment passed. He had no trouble making himself relax again. He considered dispassionately the undeniable fact that the time schedule he was working to was even tighter than the date schedule— and was showing signs of coming apart. Events were running half an hour late. The man Bond and his companion had lingered hoggishly over their lunch in the rich aristocrat's restaurant. It would be very awkward if they lingered over the drinks these people felt bound to consume around this hour. A casual glance showed that the two Englishmen had finished their round of infantile play and were approaching the clubhouse. The man in sunglasses, his eyes invisible behind the dark lenses, watched sidelong until— Laughing inanely together, they had passed out of sight. No further delay had occurred. Although he had not looked at his watch for half an hour, and did not do so now, he knew the correct time to within a minute. A pause. Silence, but for a few distant voices, an engine being started in the car park, a jet aircraft in a distant corner of the sky. Somewhere a clock struck. The man went through a tiny, underplayed pantomime of somebody deciding regretfully— that he really cannot be kept waiting any longer. 
Then he walked off at an easy pace towards the entrance. As he neared the road he took off his sunglasses and slipped them carefully into the top jacket pocket of his anonymous light grey suit. His eyes, of a washed-out blue that went oddly with his dead black hair, had the controlled interestedness of a sniper's as he reached for his rifle. "'Do you think I'm going soft, Bill?' asked Bond, twenty minutes later as they stood at the bar. Bill Tanner grinned. "'Still sore about ending up two down?' Bond had missed a four-foot putt on the last green. "'It isn't that. It's—' "'Look, to start with, I'm underemployed. What have I done this year? One trip to the States on what turns out to be a sort of discourtesy visit, and then that miserable flop out east back in June.' Bond had been sent to Hong Kong to supervise the conveying to the Red Mainland of a certain Chinese and a number of unusual stores. The man had gone missing about the time of Bond's arrival, and had been found...